listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 125 of the Testudo Times podcast, the dysfunctional viper pit of Maryland podcasts. I don't know how many others there are out there, but we're the dysfunctional viper pit. I think we've made that distinction very clear. Welcome to the viper pit, Matt. Uh, Shouldn't that be like something from WWE Raw? I don't know. Absolutely. I would put a section in the stadium. Like you have to have, you know, there's, there's this stand over here, there's this stand, and then there's the viper pit over there. Maybe they should rename the student section that. Yeah, I hope so. I'd actually be all for it because, you know, all the great supporter sections in soccer, I mean, of course, you have it at Ludwig, but you don't want to steal that name. So, hey, call the, call the stadium uh, student section at, at the artist formerly known as Maryland Stadium. Call it the Viper Pit, and then you could call it uh, the basketball, the, the wall, whatever heck it's called, something else like that. I think it's a decent idea. I'm in. I'm in with that, too. I mean, I think Viper Pit's going to stick now. Well, if, if, if the Viper Pit means we all get to drive a Dodge Viper... Okay, anyway, I'm losing track. Uh, Ryan, uh, what say you about dysfunctional Viper Pits? What would you know about those? Huh, I liked not... It It sounds like we're talking about... Uh, uh, what's it called? Indiana Jones. But yeah, um, Yes, we, we might yeah. be talking about Indiana Jones. I, uh, face-melting it, Nazis. It is... It's lawyers do live for the uh, the like definitely pre-planned quote, and that is uh, that is definitely one that that stuck out in and that way. And poison as well. Mm-hmm. We should be able to say that. Okay. So now, after spending the last month talking about the dysfunctional viper pit that is Maryland, everything at this point, at least it feels like it. We now actually get a chance to talk about football. Can you believe it's almost September first, and we're talking about a real football game as opposed to things just surrounding the program? And we still, we really don't know all that much because we thought that when Matt Canada spoke, we'd have some more clarity on the situation with the team. And Thomas, the first thing that he said, or one of the first things that he said, was he pulled a Nick Saban and named co-starters a quarterback. I don't really understand why we're doing that, and that's a thing, because you're not really getting a competitive advantage by hiding it, because they kind of know who both the quarterbacks are. Regardless of that, Kasim Hill and Tyrell Pigram are co-quarterbacks, and since Maryland's future in terms of wins and losses is almost entirely dictated on whether a quarterback stays healthy, even considering all the nonsense that's been going on, what do we think about the co-quarterback designation, and what does that actually mean on a practical side when football's played? That is a smokescreen, and it'll be Kasim Hill. Okay. So... Yes, but, we but publicly, to say that. <laughs> but publicly, it's it's co-starters, which they they have different styles, and I honestly think there's a there's a real chance that we see both of them in action if if they're healthy and that's possible. Um, that's just the, because of you know they bring so many different things to the table, and if they're both healthy, that's. It's what they can do. I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's got to be why you name co-starters is because they have different games and you have to plan for them differently. You know, Hill was taking first-team reps all camp, and he was taking first-team reps when they let, when even when they let media show up, and everyone was like, "Hey, he's taking snaps from the first-team center." That's not nothing. 
So, yeah. I expect this I mean, in the first series. After that, yes. who knows? And it's not like Tyrell Pigram played badly against Texas before he got injured. He was really good. He even threw the ball well. But you have a quarterback that's much more of a passer, and then you have another that's a runner. And you can use them in different situations. I just don't understand the co-quarterback designation. It just You're not hiding anything from anybody. I think Tom Herman's a pretty good football coach. He can figure it out. But, Ryan, what do we think about co-quarterbacks? And as long as we can keep them healthy, or at least one of them stays healthy, I think everybody will be okay with that. But what do you make of the co-quarterback designation in Maryland's case? Um, I mean, I think it's uh, it's definitely part of it is just – I think the coaches sort of know that they don't get much of a competitive advantage. But I think if you ask them, at least publicly, it's always – but but maybe I'll get a little bit of a competitive advantage, so I might as well do it. And I think if you like, you can you can hide behind the fact that there's we still can't talk about the pro the game too much right now with everything else that's going on. You you almost if you're the coach, you go well. I might as well use that. Might as well do it. I think it is likelier that we do see both quarterbacks because I I don't know if that's really why they did it, but it would make sense too. Um, and I met, like, I think it, it's hard for me to know, especially not having, you know, like deep sources in Maryland or anything like Pigram was ahead of Kasim Hill last year and, you know, the general, uh, what is it, you know, opinion we all have is that Hill seems to be a better fit for Matt Canada's offense, but the you know if he and Pigram were close enough like that then it makes sense that both of them should should see time especially with how creative we assume Matt Canada is going to get uh, like there's no there's no reason he can't he can't have some fun with with both of them because we I I was rewatching one of the games from last year or Tyler Pigram's only game from last year uh, and he what always stuck stuck out to me was that first touchdown pass he threw to DJ Moore where it was like a corner route. It was just hit him right perfectly on the sideline in the, in the end zone. And he overthrew a couple ones too, but I mean, we almost don't know how much Tyrell Pigram has developed as a passer. And I think, you know, we can't, we can't rule out the, the idea that, that he's improved there. I don't think we can't, but we assume that Kasim Hill's a better passer. I think that's been the rub for a while. It's been the talk for a while. But again, I, I think you're both right. There's no reason why you don't play both because Pigram is a change of pace on offense. And when you have a million different running backs or wide receivers or playmakers, whatever the heck we're going to use to describe them, you could use it as a creative way. And for Maryland, they need every creative advantage they could get. So last word before we move on to sort of running backs, wide receivers and the like, we assume Kasim Hill is going to be the starter for most of the season. I don't know how long you think that they're going to go with the co-starter designation. I guess they will for as much as they can, but once it's on tape, probably doesn't affect it as much. But So we think Kasim Hill, if he stays healthy for 12 games, Thomas, you think he starts all of them? Because I think he does. I would say so. I mean, he's he, he seems good, and good players don't just lose their jobs when they're healthy. Okay, simple enough. Maryland has a good quarterback. This is a strange thing to say, I guess. I'm still getting used to the fact that Maryland has good quarterbacks we can be excited about without fearing immediately that they're going to get hurt. Ryan, do you think Kasim Hill's the starter of 12 games if he's healthy? 
Um, I really, I don't know. We, we, we've seen him, uh, you know, play well in, at the end of that Texas game, dominate Towson, which is an FCS team. And then in the UCF game, I, I don't really, I didn't watch the first Maryland part was of in that when, uh, until he got injured. Right. I, I'm trying to remember how long it was before he got injured, but either way, the first uh, it was first quarter. What what we've the seen? First quarter, I think Maryland was up three nothing or something. They were up three nothing. All right. Once the quarterback got hurt, then Maryland fell apart as you would. You... So I maintain, and this is the last I'll say of this, UCF wouldn't be claiming they were national champions if Kasim Dill didn't get hurt. Thank you. <sighs> My point stands. Well, the first of the Testudo Times podcast. I'm gonna say we we just don't know with Kasim Hill. I think we like we we've seen combined like one and a half games from him and a lot can change throughout the throughout the whole season uh we don't know necessarily how you know i don't know there's just there's just so much we don't know and i think it's we all think kasim hill is pretty good and uh, we i mean we have every reason to he looked pretty good when we saw him last year but uh it's a long, it's a long season and anything can happen well, with Maryland, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> that's, the same, that's the shame of it all. But let's talk about happier things. Uh, let's talk about running backs, wide receiver, tight ends, because they all fall into the playmaker bucket, and I don't think this podcast would go on too long if we just talked about individual position groups. So we'll start, Thomas, with running backs. Ty Johnson has returned. Lorenzo Harris is back. Jake Funk is back. We expect to see some Anthony McFarlane this year. It's Clearly, Maryland's deepest position on the team is what they have at running back, and we assume because of the turnover wide receiver, they're going to play a lot of them in the slot and do all sorts of creative things. This is where I think the most fun comes in with this team is how Matt Canada is going to try to use with his motion offense all of the weapons he has in the backfield because he has a ton of them. And the biggest question, I think, for me is not how they're used. It's can Ty Johnson get the help he needs up front with Maryland having some sort of semblance of play at the quarterback position so he's not bottled up and getting either 20 yards or nothing. Because I look back at that 2016 season where he was amazing and last year where it was two feast or famine, and you think if Maryland could get the best out of Ty Johnson, then something really special could be coming on offense. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to think that. I mean, last year when they had the two healthy quarterbacks, he rushed for 150 yards, I think. So that was obviously one game, but... I I really haven't seen anything in his in his game and you know since then between spring and fall that would suggest to me that he's lost a step. I think it was a lot of just teams preparing for him first and gearing up everything to stop him and being able to do it for the most part. So you have also in the backfield you have Lorenzo Harrison who's proven to be very explosive. You have Jake Funk who's more of your goal line guy, but he can also provide some burst you have guys like Tavon Fleet Davis who is listed on the two deep Anthony McFarland's listed on the two deep there's so much talent with this team and that was even a staple of Walt Bell's offense was rotating and running backs all the time and it's certainly something we're going to see with Matt Canada so who has the most rushing yards Thomas that isn't named Ty Johnson if we assume that he's going to be the leading rusher on this team if we take quarterbacks out of it for now who has the second most running yards of all these running backs for Maryland when season's end at season's end at season's end I am going to lean toward Harrison. I think he's just the most reliable of them. I think if you count receiving yards, then maybe McFarland will be ahead of him. 
So in all I think, purpose, I think McFarland catches a lot of. I think so. Well, all purpose would have would also involve punt returns. I'm not counting and, punt returns in this particular instance. Okay. Yes, I mean all purpose is scrimmage yards. Scrimmage, scrimmage yards. yards. Okay. Whatever designation you'd like to use. Could it kill me here, guys? Yeah. So I mean, I, I think McFarland catches a lot of passes this season if he's healthy, and that that hasn't been a huge strength of Harrison's. It's that's not to say it can't become one. It, it wasn't really something that Maryland did a lot when Walt Bell was coordinator. But we'll, I, I think McFarlane in particular has that as a primary skill. He also has the ability, I think, Ryan, to be lined up in the slot. And we'll talk a little bit about this when we get to the receivers. But in terms of how the running backs are used, what's the ideal for Maryland? What would be, if they are playing at their best, what's the ideal usage for all these different running backs and playmakers that they have? Um, I think it's you always end up having, you know, there's always going to be a hierarchy. I imagine that, you know, especially this year goes, I don't know if I want to put percentages on it, but, you know, you get like the roles could be clearly defined while still everyone getting a lot of carries, especially in Matt Canada's offense where, I mean, you might have, Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison, and Anthony McFarland all in the field at the same time. And I'm, I'm hoping that that happens because it sounds fun. And I don't have any doubt that Ty Johnson is going to, you know, keep doing what he does. And I think the, uh, you know, last year it being feast or famine also just coincided with he really feasted on, you know, on Texas when Texas inexplicably was terrible against the run against Maryland and ended up being 10th in rushing S&P plus throughout the entire season. Um, and then against Towson. And then once you had no passing game to speak of, and you were playing some really good big 10 defenses, then, you know, that's when it got really hard for him. And that's, I, you know, I think that says a little bit more about the situation than it does about him. Um, and I imagine if you have a better passing game, that is really what, ends up being the key to 2016 season when Maryland didn't have a great quarterback and was playing the same sorts of big 10 defenses. Ty Johnson was awesome. Well, but he still had the same problems that season. Well, because again, you don't respect Perry Hills throwing the football, nothing against Perry Hills. Yes. You think that problem might change a little bit this year if they have a quarterback that throws the ball a touch or a quarterback that can run it too. I, well, I think here's, I think, you know, Senior year, Perry Hills got a lot of bad press, uh, and I'd say a little bit more than than necessary. Um, we're still not definitely sure that sophomore or you know retro freshman Kasim Hill is going to be better than Perry Hills in all ways as a uh, when Perry Hills was a redshirt senior. Um, I, I I think if you're getting if you're getting out of the rushing game what you got in 2016. You're you're probably still all right, and the passing game would be better, almost you know by obviously default. because by default, and you know if you have a healthy quarterback all year, I don't have any wood near me, but knock on wood, all that, you know, like the they have the benefit now of your backup quarterback is probably as good as any of the starting quarterbacks Maryland's had recently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it because last uh, two years ago, my 2016, last year I was covering the team, it was Perry Hills gets hurt, and then you have Tyrell Pigram, true freshman quarterback in there, 
And he was always a guy that was going to take a little bit of time. And it was, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't ready. And then Max Wittenslager uh, against Nebraska. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, now, now, yeah, now say anything does happen to Kasim Hill or, you know, Kasim Hill goes through a rough patch. You, the fact that you have uh, Pigram there is definitely, uh, is definitely a good sign. I'm curious about where Maryland stood in S&P Plus and running the last two years, and I'll have one of you hopefully look that up. While Thomas, let's talk about this receiving uh, core. I'll get on that. Yes, very good. Good way of divvying up responsibilities. Thomas says, we talk about the receivers and tight ends. We'll first start with this unit that has had so much change because obviously this huge presence in DJ Moore is gone, and DJ Moore is one of the best receivers in the recent history of this program. And now you're relying a lot on a couple of interesting players to be able to lead the way receiver. You're relying on DJ Turner. You're relying on Tavon Jacobs. You're relying on some other guys who are just not exactly, you know, the greatest receivers in the world. And that's going to be interesting to see, well, again, how does Matt Canada use his running backs because he's got a lot more depth there. So what do you want to see from the wide receivers? What's the ideal scenario for Maryland's wide receivers this year? I think it's that all of the veterans and you know, Jacobs is a is like a super veteran. This is his sixth year, and I mean, he he's the number one guy. And then it's Davenport and Turner in the slot. I I expect that we see a lot of the true freshmen. All four are already listed on the two deep. Yeah. All four have apparently passed the redshirt freshmen, of whom there are also four healthy options. Taj Capehart tore his ACL, so he's out for the season. No, I didn't know um, that. Oh, that happened in the spring. Oh, okay. Kind of, it, it kind of went under the radar <laughs> because Maryland didn't announce it until like after spring camp. Oh, okay. It was weird. Um, but but yeah, I, I thought Capehart would have done some good things. Uh, Turner's going to be fine in the slot. I'm interested to see how guys like Jay Sean Jones, Daryl Jones, uh, even Brian Cobbs step right in. And then there's Dante Dimas, who's six four. Those are the four freshmen that have all really impressed. I think an ideal is that a couple of those guys turn into legitimate playmakers, kind of like DJ Moore did his first year. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was the two Jacobs brothers and Moore as as the trio got most of the reception. Like DJ Moore kind of stepped right in where Stefan Diggs kind of vacated that spot. It was. Not seamless, but it happened pretty quickly, the transition, even with all of Maryland's quarterback issues. you know. Yeah, and, and he improved as that year went on, and then he improved all throughout his sophomore year and was one of the best receivers in the country by his junior year. Yep. And I also want to talk about uh, tight ends because it's fair to mention that in the last couple of years, Maryland really hasn't used them except for blocking situations. I don't believe a tight end caught a pass last year. Uh, I that do is think that's very aggressively correct. Yep. Uh, you know, sometimes when you when you watch enough Maryland football, you get to know these things, like watching a linebacker play quarterback. Oh, this was back. a stat we just had memorized all season. I mean, we did because it change. was inevitable. It and didn't now, have to change. I don't think that's going to last this year because Matt Canada's offense is obviously different, and there are two interesting I'm fully expecting ends. the first play to be a – past that Please should go to the that. that would be great that would be really good trolling for matt canada if it happened that 
That is a fearless idea. So That is definitely a fearless idea. So uh, quickly on the tight ends, what are we expecting? I think they're mostly going to be used still in blocking situations because Maryland's going to want to run the ball a lot. But in the passing game, you want to have tight ends that are usable. I mean, we're not talking about getting Mike Kosicki or somebody like that. But in, in the case of Jagosium Okonkwo, I think I did that right. So Yeah, in, I believe in so. His case, in his case – and all the tight ends case, what do you think we see from them briefly before we move on to another so I think, position group? I think Maryland will most likely kind of platoon Oconquo and Avery Edwards, the, the, the redshirt senior, who's a little bit less of a pass catcher, a little bit more of a blocker. There's, there's, I, I think there's a, a reasonable, there's a reasonable argument for putting both of them on the field at once. I don't know how much Maryland's going to do that. Um, just given how much talent they have at running back and however they can try and work some of those guys in. But I, I would expect to see a lot of Edwards and Oconquo mostly. And then those are really the two tight ends. There's Noah Barnes, my high school classmate, Andrew Park. I I don't expect to see a ton of either of them, um, but maybe on special teams or whatever. But but, but those two well, tight ends have, have separated themselves. Green, but... It's also possible. So, Ryan, what do we got for the rushing offense and S&P Plus before we go to a part of the rushing offense that's critically important, which is the offensive line? All right. So both were good, but peaked in 2016. They were 12th. Um, And then in 2017, they were 30th. So still So a bad year for Maryland is still 30th in S&P Plus in rushing, and a good year is 12th. Like, if they get everything to work properly, they could be a top 10 team in terms of running the football in the country. It, I, it all works. I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's not unreasonable to expect to, at least top twenty, especially like if they were top thirty last year. Like that's that's still pretty crazy considering when they were only everything that happened when they were only Easter fam and it was no yards or twenty, nothing in between. Right. I think. Well, yeah. Basically, last year what happened? Their uh, explosiveness ranking on Bill Connolly's stats was seventh. And their success rate was 55th in 20 uh, in 2016, and then the success rate went all the way down to 110th, and the uh, explosiveness went down to 30th. So I imagine the success rate, you know, is pretty tied to defenses loading up in the box and us and Maryland having no you know, conceivable passing game and starting a walk-on quarterback, uh, you know, having having a quarterback, uh, having a healthy quarterback, multiple ones, um, you, you'd think would, would bring that success rate back down into the, uh, into at least the, the 55 mark where they were a couple of years ago. Um, but there's also the, uh, oh, I just had, um, well, well with for that, I'm going to bring up the other yeah, part of why this team hopefully is going to have a good running game. Let's do that. Offensive line. Mm-hmm. And it is a very senior-laden group. I think we talked that nauseum about what's going to happen with Maryland transitioning from the ACC to the Big Ten. The biggest difference is the offensive line. And Maryland has a very veteran-laden group of offensive linemen, probably one of the best offensive lines they've had since I started paying attention to this team, it's basically all seniors minus a sophomore at center and Johnny Jordan. You have Damian Prince, who has the potential to be a very, very highly rated draft pick come the spring. Uh, the offensive line, I mean, last year, they can only do so much when you don't have great quarterback play behind you. But with a legitimate quarterback, 
and a couple of running quarterbacks, in fact, though Kasim Hill's not necessarily known for that. You're talking about a very, very underrated group of players. I think you don't get a lot of talk about them when people talk about Maryland in the sense of previewing this team, but it's going to be one of the other strengths of the team when you have so many veterans who have played together, and if they all stay healthy, it could help buoy this team if they get the quarterback play, obviously. But, Ryan, it's a huge strength for this group to have so many seniors, so many veterans, and so many highly rated players playing like highly rated players. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it's the offensive line. I think ever since Alex wrote about it, uh, I guess three years ago, uh, you know, we've, we've been like this, the all blue chip recruits basically, or, you know, at least half of them. And they're all like Maryland's offensive line is, this is going to be the year. I remember he said uh, the best gift Randy Edsel left Maryland was a was a good offensive line, um, and we've we've been saying really good things about them for uh, you know each year, saying this is going to be the year that they really really show everyone up, and they've been good, but they've been not as good as I think we expected, um, and that's that's a analysis based on mostly advanced stats because I cannot evaluate. I'm not going to pretend to be able to evaluate offensive line play. Um, but they're, uh, I mean, just looking at some of those stats last year, they were 127th in power success rate and 113th in stuff rate. Uh, that I believe correlates or, you know, is talking mostly about short yardage situations where the offense, where the defense knows you're going to run. Can you block them? the, answer sort of has been not really and then the their adjusted sack rate last year was 105th um so and those are all things that i'm sure get get very screwed up uh when you when you have the the quarterback quarterback playing craziness um but they're 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 worth noting and i think it's it's likely that they are quite good this year based on the fact that you have Damian Prince and Derwin Gray, who are some of the, you know, however many years ago were two of the best, they're, they're two of the best recruits Maryland has probably ever signed. And I mean, you have uh, Terrence Davis, who technically isn't even in this five, who's one of the higher rated recruits Maryland's ever signed. Brandon Miller um, underrated to his hell. Sure. I don't, I have no idea really how good he's he is. He's pretty good. I, he's moved over from center to guard. So, it's it's four seniors, and in the Big Ten, four seniors on the offensive line should be able to help you out if the quarterback gives you something to work with. And I think that's the way we kind of know how good this offensive line is. But they've been able to replenish it, and they have good depth down the lineup too with just yeah, I think replenished it... on the offensive line recruiting-wise. It's been the one of the best positions to recruit in the area has happened to be offensive mm-hmm. line. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really interested, interested to see what happens next year because you – you imagine Terrence Davis slides back in and maybe even, I mean, he's a guy who I f- feel like could potentially kick out to tackle if they needed him to, but you have uh, Tyron Hunt. Out there, yeah. uh, and then the big guy I'm really interested in, he's not in the two deep, but TJ Bradley, he was out of junior college. Uh, when I was at Atlanta 10, one of my colleagues covering uh, Penn State recruiting wrote a story about him. Um, and he, he's a guy who I believe he, he didn't start playing football until real late. But he is just, he's like, he is enormous. And, uh, you know, you g- give him a couple of years, I imagine he'd be doing some pretty good things. Uh, and was, you know, if, 
Maryland had to beat out some other schools to get him. Uh, Marcus Miner, who I know he had a health scare as a senior in uh, in in high school, but uh, and you know Johnny Jordan's just a sophomore. I'm I won't. We don't need to spend all, all day talking about the airline, but uh, but yes, you are you are Jaylen correct. Yeah, Jalen Duncan. They're important. Uh, Evan 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 Gregory was he was he uh, yeah. O line? Okay, sweet. Yeah, Evan Gregory. Um, um, yeah. So names, good recruits. Maryland's Maryland's best recruits have often been offensive linemen, yeah. which is not always super fun to write about, but is one of the well, most you need important. It when you're in the Big the Ten, team. that was the change from yeah. the ACC to the Big Ten was going heavy up front. And let's go to the other front, Thomas. Let's start talking about defense. And last year, Maryland had no pass rush because their pass rush got injured in the first game of the season, which was very, very sad. And our good friend, Jesse Annie Bonham. Now, he's back. Byron Cowart, who was once the number one rated recruit in the country, didn't stick for him at Auburn. He's starting on the other end. We talked a little bit about the feast or famine aspect of this, too, for the Terps. And usually they've had good pass rushers. That's not been a problem for them in recent years. I'm thinking of one who plays for the Jaguars that I'm very fond of right now as being an example of this. But now, when you have any Bonham and you have the potential that Byron Cowart could do some things, the pass rush has to be better than last year. And by virtue of that, the defensive front is going to have to be better than last year too, right? It would be impossible not to. Maryland last year, I believe, had like... The worst offense, seven worst sacks in the last nine games, or something crazy. Yeah, I, and probably most of the sacks came from corners. Jermaine Carter led this team in sacks with three. Oy. Kieran Howard, who is still not—he's currently the second-string defensive tackle, and that's this year. He had two of them. Uh, Andrew Isaacs was tied for third with one and a half. Andrew Isaacs was a backup tight end that's what i was the about year to prior say. he was a tight end he got in what he really only saw extensive time in one half that must and that be was the second, second half, half against, against Towson. Towson. <laughs> and know? he and he saw he got a sack and a half and that was third on the team at the end of the year that's how bad it was so anyway now that you have your your one pass rush guy back and and maybe you even have a second guy i mean byron cowart he, he's starting and he's kind of been penciled in the starting lineup ever since the spring, which he is listed as means, number one of the end position, which means though. everyone is, is high on him and thinks he's really captured a lot of the potential that he had as a recruit. And, you know, you, you don't get to the level of a recruit that he was in by accident. Um, sometimes situations just don't work out, but there, there is a lot of, potential still there and it looks like he's really tapped into a good amount of it and so yeah if if, if he if he realizes that and then and a bone is able to stay healthy then they'll have a nice little pass rush which would be a welcome sight and there's also at the tackle positions you have mb tiny who's always been solid but the name that i think everybody's gonna look at up there before we get to the linebackers is adam mcclain who made us all very happy when he said things about penn state that we all liked but he has really not played. So he's very much a wild card. But he also was a very highly rated recruit and has a lot of potential. And you hope that he can show it this year. Because Maryland also didn't do a great job in stopping the run either. Yeah, I mean, he was one that, who started to show some promise at the end of last year. Um, and I, I had kind of thought that he would start a defensive tackle early. The, I guess, question, you know... I, 
the there are a lot of other younger players, uh, the Gaddy twins, Austin Fontaine, who who played defensive tackle that that were really highly rated recruits, and it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on if they start really pressing for time. I mean, Tanya, he he, I don't want to say apparently because he started nine games last year, but it didn't feel like it. You know, he's he was a he was a real reliable presence last year, and he's a little undersized for a big 10 defensive tackle, but I, you know, he, he seems like someone who can get the job done. And then, you know, McLean has played his way into a starting lineup and he's, he's still a junior, I believe. Yes. Who, he is a junior who has plenty of potential left in him. So, yep. you know, that, that, that's a high upside group. I think the defensive ends have a higher upside, at least for this year, but the defensive line as a whole could be, could be really good. Okay, and now we move to one behind them, the linebackers. Of course, you lose Jermaine Carter, who was a rock back there forever. It just feels weird to have a Maryland linebacking group without Jermaine Carter Jr. Uh, you have Trey Watson, the Illinois transfer as a senior, as a grad transfer, who could offer you everything you would need in a Big Ten grad transfer linebacker. Definitely helps. You have Isaiah Davis. You have Antoine Brooks, uh, who is, you know, all oh, safety, but... You, they have with Isaiah. Davis, oh, he's up to one. nickel corner now. Yeah, he was up to nickel corner now. They they changed linebackers all the time, right? Because of because of how they played their defense, the there was always some secondary presence in the linebacking core. You can see how I get confused. So without Jermaine Carter, the linebackers a little bit of a question mark. Okay. Trey Watson will be solid, if unspectacular. Uh, last year they got exposed a lot because Maryland had no push up front. What about this year, Thomas? Yeah, I don't know. This is uh, Davis and Watson seem like good options. I think the question marks are really what's behind them. And, you know, I don't expect those two guys to play every snap. I mean, you, you really can't ask them to. And then this is where Maryland has had some attrition. Uh, Brett Shepard, who was going to be one of the rotational guys, pro- assumed yeah, left. left. And Naheem Anderson left. left before playing a game at Maryland. And then Melvin Kane wasn't in that discussion. He was more of a buck, but he's out. I mean, and those are the last three players to leave. So, you know, there's well, just a lot of safeties at linebacker. There are like, there are a lot of freshmen and a few redshirt freshmen over at linebacker, and then Nick Underwood, who was new last year, but is a redshirt junior, I believe. I wouldn't. And <laughs> pretty sure he's a junior. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean. There's just not really any known quantities other than Davis and Watson. And even then, like neither of those guys was super all over the place last year. Davis was Maryland's third linebacker and Watson had been kind of passed over for some younger guys at Illinois. But and Illinois isn't very good. So Yeah, I mean but but I, I have some confidence in those two. I'm just not sure about what's behind them. And Maryland will need the guys behind them. Yes, they will. You play against good running backs in the Big Ten. Specifically, I think of J.K. Dobbins in Ohio State, and it terrifies me. But that's the second-to-last game of the season. Ryan, quickly, let's get to the secondary. Lots of veterans, all juniors and seniors starting. Marcus Lewis, Rayvon Davis, a corner. Darnell Savage, Antoine Richardson, and safety. Tino Elf also is there, too. A lot of veteran presence. You know, we're not talking J.C. Jackson. We're not talking some of the better corners that Maryland's had in recent years, but there's a lot of veterans there. And, I mean, Tino Ellis for a converted wide receiver isn't too bad. Marcus Lewis is a highly rated transfer. So the secondary, again, 
if there's a pass rush, you would not expect them to have as much trouble as they had a year ago. Yeah, I think when you're looking at defensive backfield, that is uh, Maryland's good on the defensive backfield. Like you look at who they have now, you know, this year and next year, I think defensive backfield should rival running back as they're just most complete and deep unit. They had a um, lot of great players at, at that position the last couple of years. Their secondary has been really strong. It's just been up front that's killed them defensively. Yeah, but I think like they've also they've had uh, this is potentially going to be one of their strongest like complete secondary. I think they've they've had a lot of good performers there, but you're getting people who were highly rated recruits who are entering their junior seasons or at least upperclassmen seasons, um, and that's really when you're going to get like Tino Ellis and Marcus Lewis. I would assume are not going to be not going to morph into NFL talents this year, but the ideally you have them, you know, they're juniors. They're going to be pretty good this year. Next year, they're going to be seniors. My, my vision basically is that Maryland's offense warps into whatever DJ Durkin was, uh, was hoping for it to be. It really seems like maybe it was going to get there by 2019. It doesn't look like he's going to be there, but the, the, the line the defensive line should finally, I think, get there next year when you have uh, Kim Spence, the Gaddy Twins, Austin Fontaine, mm-hmm. um, all a couple years into the program. And then you have, uh, you know, Byron Coward, if he's still there, then you, like, you combine that with the, uh, with secondary that could potentially be all seniors that year. Yeah, that's that's when I think you're looking at the the almost best case scenario Maryland defense, uh, but but you know well I'm I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of men smarter than me have said that about Maryland defenses in uh, in years past and ended up to uh, to not see that through. However, uh, yeah, you got Tino Ellis who has been starter from basically day one, Rayvon Davis who's I think Davis probably ends up. Uh, He's played a lot of nickel in the past, but I guess I think he's going to end up being kind of the nickel here uh, in a bit. And I mean, you, you rotate, but okay. Antoine Brooks is a nickel, which which we knew. What was there some talk of him switching to safety? Am I am I making that up? I mean, you wouldn't necessarily need that. You aren't making Richardson it up, but I mean, he didn't he didn't play there much last year. Okay, okay, it made some sense. Okay, uh, yeah, and then I mean, because behind them you still have Deion Lewis was one of the highest rated recruits a couple years ago. He sat out last year after an injury, but, uh, you know, it's – secondary is looking real good. Uh, and the thing with linebacker is that I think since you only play two at a time, it is sort of in some ways like the position you can get away with the most. Uh, that said – You just hope you're not yeah, like J.K. Dobbins every week. <laughs> That's basically uh, what you're saying. Yeah, and I think the, the problems are exposed there and they're, they're exposed just – if you play a team that goes high tempo because Maryland's problem at linebacker the past couple of years has been, they've had an entrenched starter or two and then behind them kind of, kind of a bunch of people who haven't yeah, played very much. The teams uh, are super tempo though. So it doesn't come out. I mean, against Ohio state, maybe, but not necessarily against Michigan or Penn state. There are a lot more physical teams in the big 10. So it doesn't come out as much as it would otherwise. Uh, that's that's true. No, no, nonetheless, that well, I mean, I think you can, you, say. you can argue you can argue tempo. I mean, you got a couple teams. Penn State, Nebraska is going to do that a lot. Well, uh, doesn't play Nebraska, oh, so it's 
Well, I mean, not hey, this season. Hey, sure. so excuse me. Unless they okay. make it to the um, Big Ten title game in some random alternate universe that doesn't exist. Um, yes. Uh, but, I mean, I think tempo and or you just play a team that has a good rushing attack. Same uh, same situation in that you're going to need to use your reserves. And Maryland, I mean, Jermaine Carter was there for approximately. He was there, like, captain of the defense for 17 years. So he... Uh, it, it will be interesting. Basketball type joke with how long he was at Maryland. But again, I'm 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 reviewing the the position that you you and Thomas just discussed at length. So yes. yeah, we can we can this keep it going. This happens all the time. We're happy to talk about actual football related things as opposed to others. Quickly, Thomas, on the specialty on the specialists. There's a freshman kicker. His YouTube videos are great. His social media videos are great. I hope he could put kicks through the uprights when it's necessary. It's been a long time since Brad Craddock made us all very happy. Every time he kicked the ball, when we weren't fearing that he was going to miss, he was the anti-college kicker. Uh, hope Joe Petrino could do that too. And Aussie punter, Wade Lee's fantastic. And kick returners, basically the same as last year. Tavon Jacobs is going to return punts. Ty Johnson's going to return kicks. He returned a kick against Ohio State last year. So we obviously, you know they have plenty of explosive players in terms of that. I mean, I just hope that they make more field goals than they made last year, which weren't many. Yeah, don't don't forget Matt Max Bortenschlager is the holder. Uh, yeah. Real important yeah. stuff. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, punters are people too. You know, here's the thing with are. the kickers though. Craddock wasn't that long ago, except it feels like forever ago. It was three years ago when he last played for Maryland, but it feels like a million years ago because it the last two years have not been anywhere near what Brad Craddock did. Like I, I feel like again. Kicking in college is hard. I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, and it never is. But Maryland had a kicker that was just so amazingly good. I mean, he was what with Roberto Aguayo as like best kicker in the country, and was he won automatic. he won the Groza one of the years. Yes, so he was the best kicker in the country. So naturally, there's going to be some attrition. But I mean, again, Maryland went from having one of the best college kickers to just having college kickers. Shouldn't be like that this year, you hope, but. It's a freshman kicker. I have no idea. I'm not going to get on the kickers too much. I never try to. But uh, Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's hard to know for sure. You know, I, I know he's got the leg. Great. Love yeah, those. I know he's got the leg. It was, it was cool. You know, we were at practice for just a little bit, and I was walking past all the kickers doing their kicks. And then one of the kicks, one of the kicks just comes in much higher than all the others, and I think you can tell who that was. Clear is, clear is easy, and uh, I look back, and it's it's him. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So, so I mean, he's, he's clearly ahead of everyone else at that position. And that's what happens when you spend you know, when you spend a scholarship on a kicker. That's what so you hope, hope you're getting. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly transition now to the schedule for this season. I'm, I've been thinking about this for a while when DJ Durkin was the head coach and now when Matt Cannon is the interim. I put the schedule into buckets, Ryan, and we'll talk about the buckets in just a second. Uh, the buckets will be the three games where Maryland should win, even considering they're a dumpster fire at the moment, and that is Bowling Green, Temple, and Illinois, three teams that they are better than. Then there are the three games that they should win but could conceivably lose. Minnesota at home, last year you won in Minneapolis with a backup quarterback. Indiana, who you beat at home with a backup quarterback, though that's on the road. And Rutgers, who you should have beaten last year with a backup quarterback, but didn't. And I'm scarred for life because I had to see that in person. But I'm not going to that game in person this year. So maybe the tide will turn. Then you have the three games 
in which Maryland probably has about a 25% chance to win, but they could win if everything goes right. That would be Texas. Still think it's not a guarantee that they lose. Iowa on the road. Iowa, unless it's Ohio State last year, doesn't blow anybody out. And Michigan State, who last year Maryland hung with, despite the fact that they didn't really have much. And then there's the three that they've got no chance, and that's Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. So in terms of the schedule, and you know more about the rest of the Big Ten than the rest of us, uh, do you think that sounds about right, Just dividing the 12 games into those four buckets? Yeah, yeah, that looks about right. Um, I think, you know, the biggest question marks we're really looking at are, I guess, Minnesota, you don't – I guess you don't really know how good they're going to be, but you figure their S&P has them at 67 and Maryland at 71. Um, I'd, I'd say putting those teams at about the same place doesn't seem crazy, but uh, especially... Maryland beat them last year on the road with a backup, and this year's playing them at home. Yes. So it's yes. a game they should win. It's not one that they will win, but it's one that they should win. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's a it's an even game. I mean, they won by a touchdown last year, so they could win by a touchdown again this year, but PJ Flex second season teams generally get better in their second year. Uh, and I mean, Flex has certainly uh, shown that he can do that. So I think we can't just say that Maryland's getting better without acknowledging that, you know, like would Maryland be, would be trending upward if not for potentially, if not everything that happened this off season, Minnesota yes. would be trending upward as well. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, I think like Minnesota, Indiana, both definitely fall into the same place. Um, yeah, yeah. Rutgers, Rutgers would seem like more of a guaranteed win if uh, if you I'm didn't have all the, all the torn, turmoil at Maryland, that. and and if we hadn't maybe thought Rutgers was a guaranteed win in past seasons. Um, I'm not saying anything about Rutgers because the last two times I went to those games, they lost. I'm not uh, saying anything about that. They're starting to right. a quarterback. That's all I can tell you. Uh-huh. Freshman who, uh, the guy who actually got benched his senior year and the guy who started above him walked on and is now the starter as a true freshman at Minnesota. Um, that's, that's a very Rutgers thing that uh, could happen. However, it was at IMG, which is like Yes, it's IMG. College. It's, listen, um, I can tell you from having someone in the family who cares very deeply about Rutgers football that they're very excited up there about this quarterback. So let's not spoil their fun now. Okay. Uh, and then... If I had to pick one game I'm most interested in, it's potentially it's it's probably the Texas game. Like maybe that's just because it's in a couple of days, but it's I'm also so, a complete wild card because we have no idea what this team's going to look like. We really have no idea what, what's going to happen. Uh, and my whole basis for Texas being good is that you know events that said they're supposed to be really good. Uh, and I mean, while they looked pretty bad against Maryland last year, they definitely had. They looked a lot better a lot of other times. I mean, they held UC, USC to, I think, 17 points in regulation. Um, that should be really interesting. Um, I'm always interested when they play Iowa because as, outside sure. of Ohio State last year, Iowa doesn't blow anybody out. So you can definitely get at them. And also playing at Kinnick Stadium is fun. I can tell you from that from experience. I Yeah, I think I'm I'm fairly high on Iowa this year. Their quarterback, Nate Stanley, should like he was up and down at times, but I mean you should have seen him in the in the Ohio State game. He made like the throws of his life and it was ridiculous. But uh we're we're gonna be sort of talking about I think next year for twenty nineteen, we're gonna be talking about Iowa's quarterback, Wisconsin's quarterback, and Brian Lewerke at Michigan State 
potentially, I mean, Shea Patterson will be talking about in Michigan a lot, but there's a lot of, a lot of Midwestern quarterbacks that we're going to end up talking about a lot in, uh, in like this year, but potentially this year, but definitely next year. But, uh, I think for me, as I would have switched this over to Thomas, Maryland's bull eligibility to get to six wins. There is a path for which it is possible. You have to win all the games you're supposed to win, all the games that you should win but could lose, and then you get to six. It's not like last year where the quarterback situation screwed them and the crossover game screwed them. It's a little bit different this year with slightly easy crossover games. The president and of UCF turning into a and UCF turning into game. the national champions. BS. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think for me. The, they can win all of those games if they play like we think they can and they play like they showed they could against Texas. I'm not saying that they could replicate that, but the idea that Maryland could definitely get a bowl game is not out of the question, even with all of the chaos. And saying as what we have seen, if they actually get to a bowl game after all the chaos, that would be an incredible accomplishment, as we said last week. It'd say a lot about Matt Canna's viability as a Division One Power 5 head coach. Absolutely. And... We would have to decide what that meant for for him and for the program. Like later, you know, it, there's no Stephen debating that now. Although I have been asked questions about that before. It's but, a reasonable question yeah, to ask, and I think Maryland fans even, have every right to say if they win six, what happens going forward? We don't know what's going to happen with DJ Durkin in terms of his official job status, but we assume he's going to get fired at some point. And I doubt that DJ Durkin takes over at any point during the season coaching again. And if Matt Canada doesn't do well this year, well, it'll be chalked up to the situation's a tire fire, and there's nothing he could have done about that, and so he'll get a pass. But if he wins, then he took a dumpster fire program to a bowl game that has made the bowl games, what, only two times in the last four seasons? Or, like, three times in the last six? It's not a consistent bowl game program. So if he could fix that, then you're starting to look at programs saying, not just Maryland, saying, hey, this guy's really good, and he can coach at the D1 level, and he can be a good coach. Given everything that he had to work with at Maryland, that's a step up for him. And we mentioned last week it would be the, I'm now going to go directly from good coordinator to D1 Power 5 head coach as opposed to having to go to group of five first. Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be inter- just, just really interesting. And I think I've said before it's a really interesting subplot. He had an interesting quote about it this week in that he really doesn't look like it. He doesn't look at it like a normal, you know, a sitting coach to assume an interim head coach job because it's just so different and the circumstances surrounding this are so different. And he really has to just guide a ship day-to-day and keep it from going off the rails as opposed to what what happened when it was Mike Loxley a couple of years ago. You know, Maryland had already kind of thrown in the towel, fired a coach, and just needed someone else to guide them through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- those are just so – it's just so different, and I I really have no idea what to expect as far as that goes. But as, as you said, a bowl game's reasonable. The talent's there. And, and the schedule allows them an opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, winning all the games that they should or But even to. then, it's it feels weird, like, saying that you expect it because well, I, don't I have expect no it. I don't yeah. expect it at all. I'm just saying that it's possible. And I think that the thing is to say that it's possible as opposed to saying I think it's going to happen because there's a lot that still has to go on. Now, I say that should it be the expectation? No. But should it be the goal? Absolutely. 
And my other goal for this team is, I mean, against Texas, I have legitimately have no idea how they're going to play. I, if you were betting on this game, now that it is legal in most places, including in Delaware, I don't know what you'd be doing because I don't know how you get any sort of judge on how good this team is. Texas, you have more of an idea, but with Maryland, you've got no clue. And last year, they hung 51 on them. In an ideal circumstance, Maryland could replicate that, but they're playing in a neutral field. They're dealing with all this crap. I don't know if they're going to beat them, but if they can hang tough with Texas, that would be great. And if they do beat Texas, it's some minor miracle. Does the Texas football program have to end, Ryan? Does Texas football <laughs> just shut down if Maryland wins? Because that, that would be the end, right? How, you get swept <laughs> by Maryland, and then you get swept by Maryland at FedEx Field while the program is a flaming dumpster fire. Man, uh... That would just be amazing. It's like, I I am honestly, I am somebody who tries not to grave dance, but in that instance, I would absolutely grave dance. There's no way I wouldn't. It would be a Twitter feast. Last year was so much fun, but this year will be more fun if it happens. It's, I'm not saying it's going to, I'm just saying this is what I plan to do if it does. It's, I think it's, it's complicated. The, just everything that goes on with Jordan McNair and everything doesn't mean doesn't mean you can't be happy about stuff, but it does make it I think everything a little bit more complicated. But uh, that would be like being online during the as as I sometimes am uh, during during the uh, the Maryland Texas game last year was just just wonderful because it was, it was just fun days I've had on Twitter basically it, ever. It was. It was surreal because you didn't actually think, "Holy crap, is this happening?" Yeah, and it's and just the fact that everyone can make fun. My of favorite Texas. part of last year's game, in retrospect, was after Pigram threw a pick six on his first pass. I think, you know, I was running the Twitter and I sent I sent the you know, uh oh, pick six touchdown, and we got like ten replies, like <laughs> basically cancel the program, and then they went up twenty seven to seven. It was when they blocked the kick and returned it. I went, I'm not actually seeing this, right? I was just so stunned at everything that you were watching. And that would be multiplied times 10 if they won on Saturday, all things considered. And again, playing for Jordan McNair is a thing. They're playing for their pride as a program. They're playing for their interim head coach, who they seem to like a lot. There's so much that could happen in this game. But we'll briefly get in that game very shortly, but I want to go for record predictions now. Uh, I don't know how you can make a record prediction and have any sort of confidence in it. I have no confidence in it, uh, what I think is going to happen. I normally am the one that oversells the team, but I'll go for mine last. Thomas, how many wins? Do you- let's, let's go six. Why not? So you're going to be the optimistic one. Let's do it. Dennis Dodd did say on CBS Sports – Maryland's going to fire DJ Durkin. Matt Cannon's named the interim. One of those things has happened. One of them's probably going to, and then they're going to make a bowl game. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could happen. And uh, Ryan, what would you say in terms of record predictions? Uh, I hate to be a downer. And I think it is complicated because we don't know. I'd love to make a record prediction. Well, I'm sure we'll make, we'll make record predictions again. Uh, I think it's okay the, after, the, after this game, after this game, you could probably yeah, do it fairly. I, the Texas game could potentially tell us so much. If, I mean, basically my thought process would be if Maryland looks at all competitive against Texas, you, you that that bodes well for their chances against a couple other teams. If but if Maryland if Maryland gets bad. if Maryland gets wiped out by Texas, that's that's probably pretty bad. But it also like it maybe maybe uh, maybe Texas is bad. Just 
Oh, well, again, it, it could be Texas is back. <laughs> it could be an indication of absolutely nothing. Yeah. You actually don't know. Like, Maryland, I think the only way we could say anything with somewhat certainty is if Maryland actually plays well against Texas. Like, if they lose by two touchdowns and they stay competitive, like, keep it within the spread, you could say, hey, this might not be as bad as we feared. And if they lose by 40, you could say, hey, they played Texas. They either could be really good or Maryland could be so bad that we legitimately don't have any idea. Like, maybe Bowling Green is better for the, this is okay to, this is, this is fine gif with everything on fire. And the Texas game is the, well, it could be really bad or everything's going to be all right, actually. There's a wide range of options, but it's more positive depending on how well it goes against Texas, I guess. So record prediction, what do you think? Uh, I'll probably go, let's see, I'm going to say, I'll, I'll go five. And, and I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with five two. I normally oversell it. I think the best case scenario for this team is seven and five, in which they upset one of Texas, Michigan State, or Iowa. I think that's the best case scenario. I don't think they can beat two of the three. Uh, I would also like them to be competitive against one of Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State, and not lose by fifty. That would be nice. Giving one of them a legitimate scare would be fun because Maryland hasn't done that since 2015, when Penn State wasn't what it was at that point uh so for all that being said i gotta agree with you i gotta go with five now again six is reasonable i think they could get it if this program finds a way to settle down there's a lot still going on and i know we referenced and joked about the viper pit comment at the top of the show thomas we need to talk about that briefly which came from this bizarre situation where there were players that are apparently were dealing with sexual assault allegations and then it was first reported that kevin anderson paid for them out of the discretionary account that is funded by boosters and then it was a lawyer who said no dj durkin actually said to go pay for that uh what do we make of that is there anything to make of that well it's certainly not nothing because that is against the rules and it it does match up very well with anderson getting fired slash placed on leave slash spinning that to go on sabbatical I have no idea to what extent any of that story could impact Durkin, who's already under plenty of fire as it is. I guess it would be piling on. That's about all I could say. I don't think it's a fireable offense on top of what were already probably fireable offenses. Sure. And the the players in the case who I alluded to, and I have we have some pretty good sources that those are the players. One of them was cleared of wrongdoing. The other was expelled. Both are both left the school either way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, that, that part of it, as far as we know is, is over, but, and, and Anderson's gone and Durkin was probably going to be gone anyway, but it is definitely something to, that, that, that's important to put out there. And that was, that was a rumor that I had actually heard a while ago. And, you know the you know it was it was from a couple of Diamondback kids and the Diamondback reported it. Washington Post followed up. So, um, good good on them over there. That is good quality journalism. That is good student journalism. Read that before read you read Maryland today. Well, read that before you read Maryland today, the new site that they put out. Oh, okay. Well, we could talk about that another time. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, the only other things that we should mention, uh, Ryan, in terms of investigations, as we try to wrap this show up very quickly is um, 
they're continuing on. I thought we were going to have something this week. We clearly don't. It's about football now. The USM Board of Regents is going to get an update today when you're listening to this podcast on Thursday. The deadline is still the 15th, which is a football game day. I still maintain that I don't think anything gets announced on the 15th itself, unless they're waiting until after the game to do it, which I don't know why they would. But what do you think about the fact that we haven't heard anything and that they're actually going to be very thorough with the investigation as opposed to other scandals who want to have it finished before football actually starts playing? I don't know how much. I mean, taking longer is probably a good sign, but I think it's not everything. Um, And I think just like when you take the Ohio State, what happened there, um, they – their investigation was pretty damn thorough. Um, well, how they, they well their investigation might have been thorough, but how they dealt with it was farcical. But we don't have to go into that. Right, right. But that's what I'm saying. Their investigation was pretty thorough, and it didn't take very long. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I I remember when we first found out about it. Uh, found out about the bigger investigation into Maryland, first started by Wallace Lowe. I I said by. Uh, when we were recording this on the 29th, I, I was like, yeah, we'll definitely cool. know by then. Um, but now that they added all, those, all the other people into it, um, yeah, who who the hell knows? I mean, you have one guy who works for the Redskins, so he, I'm sure, is going to be super busy um, well, working for the Redskins. For Maryland, considering he works for the Washington football team, that's also going to be bad, but anyway. Uh, I don't know if he gets to choose that. But, I don't um, know if he gets to choose that, but he's on this committee, so... Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily know what it means. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea. I think I imagine the 15th will be, end up being a sort of deadline for both of them. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a somewhat Ohio state like situation where they have the big meeting on the 15th or right before, or maybe, maybe the day after. And they say, can't imagine okay, this news on a football Saturday. Right. I right. Can't imagine right. Right. That. No, just ready. Ready. I'm getting, I'm getting there. Um, and then they release it on, you know, Monday or that week, like the, uh, like the Ohio state, you know, came to its conclusion sort of on Sunday, told people on Monday and then told everyone on Wednesday. Um, I, I could see a situation sort of like that. Um, but the, the, the information trickle out would likely be different just because, uh, I, you know, if, if we're assuming that the, that the, uh, information that trickles out is that DJ Durkin is getting fired, then that would be something that, uh, that likely leaks out to a big time reporter, like, you know, before, before like Maryland, Maryland doesn't announce Coach firings do not get announced at press conferences. So, uh, it, yeah, I, I'd say that it's either way, but as I say, like, it's so complicated because the 15th is a Saturday. Like, I guess you can bury it on Sunday when the NFL is taking everybody's attention, but we'll have to see how it plays out. But the fact that there isn't an announcement now is honestly a bit surprising to me very quickly. Uh, do you want to say anything about the Texas game in particular, what you're looking at? Just one or two sentences, what you're looking for in a specific football sense. We kind of got over what Maryland might be doing, but what are you looking for in just as a football game? Um, I am looking for – I'd love to see what Maryland's passing game looks like. I think the rushing game against Matt, under Matt Canada should be good if they can pass. Um Texas's run defense is so good that I think Maryland's probably going to struggle on the ground ultimately against Texas. But 
yeah. If their passing game is good, Texas can't just load up against the run. Then, uh, then that should be pretty interesting. I'm. It's mostly you know we got we got two games worth of quarterback play last year that we got to see. I'm just look interested in seeing what uh, what Matt Canada's offense looks like, I guess. And then uh, you know I'm interested in the the D line. By- Byron Cowart and Jesse Annabonum re- rushing the passer at the same time is is interesting to me. And what do you think, Thomas? What do you want to see in terms of this game? Not necessarily Maryland-centric, but just as a football game. Yeah, I mean, Ryan hit on a lot of the Maryland angles. I think I'll be looking at, at Maryland's sideline to see if it's any different than, than what it was you know, yeah, kind of last year. That's a good point. The, the excessive juice sign should not and probably will not be around think for it obvious be reasons. Taste if it was. If it was for around. obvious reasons. Um, but, but I, I think it, it will tell a lot how into it the sideline is and, and what they do there. And I'm, I'm interested in the crowd. I have no idea what, what kind of crowd it's going to be. That was my number one. I was the, like, what the hell is the crowd going to look like for the I have season? no idea how, to what extent they're going to fill it, to what extent oh, it's, it's, be... it's Texas takeover, I how many students show up. I'm curious. Takeover, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure like, like when they played at Penn state against Baltimore, was it a terrible crowd? but it wasn't great. Like with all that comes in with the atmosphere around the program now, and the fact that this is taking place at the worst stadium on God's green earth, FedEx field is a dump. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You're looking at an entire atmosphere that we just don't know what it's going to look like. And that's my number one question is, is there an atmosphere? Cause you could argue that when you watch the NFL team, there's not much of an atmosphere there either. So now you're putting in a team that is, under a huge amount of pressure in terms of scandal and playing a really good Texas team that everyone thinks is back in air quotes, get my Joe Tessitore voice out. Uh, so I, again, I just have no idea what that atmosphere is going to be like. That's what I'm really curious about. And also, as you said, sideline demeanor is going to be telling a lot. Like, are they drooping? Are they amped? What are they like? It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, quickly. Other words on other non-revenue sports. If you wanted to watch a men's soccer game, it's on FS1 on Friday night at 6 Eastern because I guess FS1 can't show their fourth different version of a first take ripoff or they can't put Clay Travis on the air. But they are putting Clay Travis on the air the week later. Just can't put him on more on the air. That's a blessing to us all, I guess. And then uh, Maryland women's soccer plays Drexel on Sunday. And the reason why I know that is because the play-by-play announcer is somebody who you know very well. And that play-by-play announcer is actually me, turns out. Hey, hey. Yes, so it'll be the first time I've called a Maryland sporting event since the national championship lacrosse game in 2016. Hopefully it goes better than that. And I didn't actually call any women's soccer games when I was at Maryland. I probably should have. So I'm actually quite interested in seeing how that game turns out. They're playing at Drexel on Sunday afternoon at 2. So if you're interested in watching that, and I know some, someone from Test 2 Times is going to have to to write about the game, you'll be hearing my voice. So how about, how about that? That's a positive note to end this on. Yep. Uh, we, for whatever reason, didn't mention field hockey last week. No, we didn't. Point out. They won. They well, we didn't get our season preview up until Friday for some reasons, but uh, they they scored 14 goals and allowed one over the weekend. This that seems good. They they returned most of the team that made the national title game, and then this this not random, but this transfer in from Germany named Nikkei Lorenz just scores the first four goals of the season. And here we go. Yes. And, so. and, and if you stayed up to watch men's soccer, they lost 2-0 to Washington. 
and now they play Stanford, who I believe is number one in the country. Hey, I mean, it, it's good. Three-time defending champs. Three-time defending champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. But hey, if you're going to be watching uh, on on Friday, I mean, I might watch a little of it just for the morbid curiosity of the whole thing because it's on FS1 and it makes no sense logically why that would be there. But I guess Stanford's playing a football game later that night, so they figure the audience will transfer. I have no idea. Uh, anyway, before I get into rants about that, uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. I, I know it's hard in some ways to enjoy Maryland football considering all that is going on, but I've always said that for me, I root for the players who this has not much to do with what's going on there. They couldn't have controlled what happened. They did their best. And a lot of these players are good players who want to represent the school and the state with pride. And you want to represent the best of the school. And while the worst is all for all to see, and it doesn't go away, actually watching a football game kind of washes it out for a little bit. And I, I always support the football program because I love it. And we all, while we're covering it and we're journalistic and we have so much to say about it, we, we do want to cover this team. and We want them to be good because it's better for all of us if the team is good as we, instead of talking about them being bad forever. So... I'm going to do my best to enjoy the game. Hopefully all of you can. And if you can't, it's fully reasonable. I understand that. But for me, I try to look at the sports in a vacuum and then the other situation just outside of it is for another time. We'll see how it all plays out. I'm really curious to see how it all plays out. And hopefully you've enjoyed this long preview where we could actually talk about football for once and get into the groove of one show per week. We're back at it. And we'll be back at it next week when we'll actually know a little bit more about what this team actually looks like and i'm very very interested in seeing what that will all be but hopefully you enjoyed this show and enjoyed this preview hopefully there's something to enjoy at the game on saturday but until then of course no terps